Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and Rogue Transformers, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. This is Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And what you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song from our web series, Reality on Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. And you can find our web series at RealityOnDemandSeries.com. Today on Genretainment, we speak to actor, writer, and director John Cabrera, who co-created the hot new web series called H Plus The Digital Series, which is produced by Brian Singer, who you probably know from his work on the X-Men movies and Superman Returns, among other things. Yeah. Now, he talks about expanding his career from acting to writing and directing, also about his years acting on Gilmore Girls, how he co-created the web series that glimpses into our possible transhuman future, and how he convinced Brian Singer to produce H Plus. He also talks about his previous web series, The Homes. And that's just warming up. We cover so many things with him. Many of you may remember him from his years acting on Gilmore Girls, but Yay, you find out... Gilmore Girls! Well, till the last season. <laughs> and, but you find out after just a few minutes of talking to him that he is just as much a writer and director as he is an actor. Yeah, so now let's get to our featured interview uh, with John Cabrera. Are you listening to John Entertainment? Today we're talking to the creator of the web series H+. Big budget web series that you probably have heard about by one of the producers, uh, actually Brian Cena, one of the producers of uh, the X Men movies. Yeah, so go ahead. Even though we've been talking a little bit, if you could uh, introduce yourself and your background in filmmaking, and I know you've got a strong background in acting, so but just a little bit about all of that. Yeah, uh, I'm John Cabrera. Um, I am one of the two writers, creators of H Plus, the digital series. And yeah, my background is, I guess, most of the past decade, you'd say I was uh, I was more of an actor than um, sort of behind the camera. Although I, I, I'd, I'd probably say my heart has always lived behind the camera. I, uh, I've been doing sort of my own little indie projects and and music videos and films and short films and whatnot for at least, you know, the past 12 years or so. But, you know, my bread and butter over the last decade is probably mostly as an actor. I was on Gilmore Girls for five years playing the role of Brian Fuller. And towards the end of that run is when I really made a push for, you know, turning that behind the camera stuff into an actual career. So the past four years since uh, Gilmore went off the air. I've uh, I've directed a web series called The Homes, and and then most recently my series H Plus just just launched on YouTube. That that project actually predates The Homes. Uh, started working on that with Cosimo in 2006, and yeah, that's sort of my my little quick journey through the entertainment industry. Now you've also got a musical background because I I loved Gilmore Girls, oh, <laughs> and you were in the band. So, um, what's a little bit of your musical? And obviously, you were talking about the homes. That has a lot of uh, emphasis in music as well. Well, I get you know, I, my in truth, my musical background is that I like music. <laughs> well, that's the uh, first requirement. Yeah, I mean, uh, people always, I, I always used to get that question, you know, uh, about how much of what they saw on Gilmore Girls was actual real musicianship, and the answer is very little. Very little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, see, I, was, I kind of thought, well, that might be how it goes until, you know, I knew about the homes, and I thought, well, maybe he's got a little bit more background than I realized. Well, I mean, I, I love music, and, and it's, it's you know, very similar to, to the, the creators of, of Gilmore Girls, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino and, and Dan Palladino, both huge music nerds. I'm yeah, sure everybody who watches Gilmore yeah. Girls knows that they are big music nerds. So, so yeah, they, they created that band, and I... I played one of the, the roles in, in that. I played the bass player in the band. And, you know, I mean, the idea was, was like, look, the bass is not that difficult of an instrument. You know, he should be able to get it. You know, <laughs> you know? and if you watch early episodes, early episodes still had me sort of playing. Like we would rehearse early on. And I, you know, I did. I learned, I learned the chords on everything, like the fingering for every song that we ever did on the show. I always had to learn that. That's um, but it, it was only after like, you know, maybe like the first season that they started just using the bass player, the bass player who was teaching me all of that stuff was always like off camera. Um, 
Early on, he was off camera just to sort of help me through it, but eventually he was just, you know, off camera actually playing it because they wanted they wanted it to sound live. So all of the stuff on the show was actually recorded live. Like, well, none of it was edited yeah, over. That's what I was so, wondering. It sounded it, so I assumed you just picked it up. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> No, no, he was standing literally right off camera. I think, and I think that there may be a couple of episodes where if you actually follow my bass guitar's cord, you'll follow it like on the ground and then see that it's not actually plugged in. <laughs> see, I was paying more attention to the drums. That's what I used to play. <laughs> you know, but I love music, and, and the Holmes is, uh, and I love indie rock, and I, you know, I've just it, it, music is a big inspiration for the work that I create the stuff that I write I'm always sort of writing to music to, to a degree although lately like I've been a little slack on my music but um, during the homes I was listening to a lot of indie rock and, and, and up like even before pitching the homes I was and that was sort of part of the inspiration for where I came up with the idea uh, so yeah and that was actually my first that was my first time in a studio actually recording an album so I wasn't really a musician I was more of a producer but I was also sort of like learning how to be a producer not really knowing music but with a cast of actors like those casts those actors in, in, in the homes they were all musicians with a capital M so I'm like trying to give them notes on the way I want it to sound, you know, and like they're they're just laughing at me, you know. Like <laughs> at one point, at one point, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I just feel like I just feel like it it was just a little flat, you know. And like two of them looked at each other and they're like, actually, um, it was a little sharp. <laughs> You're like, no, no, I meant flat from the key above it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, hey, I was like. I was like, basically what I mean is that it didn't sound good. How's that? <laughs> That's great. So were you the one that you just kind of came up with this idea for the homes, then you had to go find people who were much more musical, or was this something that you'd already kind of worked out with somebody ahead of time? No, I mean, you know, it was like, I, I had this idea, hey, you know, why don't we... Why don't we make it really difficult on ourselves <laughs> and make the musical, you know? You know, I had this idea for, you know, a story about a, a young girl who, at the beginning of the story, she's relocated by her parents to Pittsburgh, and she's miserable because she misses all of her friends back in L.A., and she comes up with this plot to get back to L.A. using this young sort of garage band that her neighbor has convinces them that she has a record deal for them back in LA and convinces them that if they can get her back there, that, you know, that if they get her back there, that she has this record deal for them. And, and then over the course of the series, which if you watch it, it sort of plays out like a film, you know, over the course of the series, 10 minute episodes, she starts to sort of, you know, deeply bond with this group. And by the time she gets back to LA, she realizes that she doesn't, really have anything in common with all of those people that she left back there and, and, you know, with their sort of parties and L.A. sensibility. And, you know, I just thought it would be great if somehow we could bring music, real music, into the actual project. And, and so I decided I would try and do a musical. And, so, and, uh, so and, and, and then it became the challenge. That became the challenge. Like, what do you, are you going to cast musicians or are you going to cast actors? <laughs> You know, and uh, and luckily we ended up getting the the best of both worlds. I mean, we you know we put out a casting call for actors who knew how to play particular instruments, and we saw hundreds of people. Hundreds of people came in for it. It was really extraordinary, and we got amazing musicians in every one of those in every one of those roles. I have to say, I was very 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 happy with the cast. That's great. So basically, your rule number one for starting and producing was you have to be a masochist. Yeah. <laughs> Make it as hard as possible. That is, that is definitely like the the story of John Cabrera. I always seem to like like no, that's not that's not hard enough. <laughs> you know, let's do this instead. That's definitely not going to almost kill you. Yeah. So, so her, the idea of her going back from you said what was it Pittsburgh to L.A. Is that in any way have anything to do with in your personal experiences? I think you you're from Miami, then you went to Chicago, and then over into L.A. Was did you have any kind of culture shock when you first got to L.A.? No, not to L.A. because L.A. is uh, has a lot of similarities to Miami. 
right? Yeah. So I, I grew up in Miami. Um, you know, I went to college in Chicago. If there was any real culture shock, it was when I it was when I got to Chicago. <laughs> I, um, I went from like Hurricane Andrew, which had been just a couple of years before in Miami and dealing with all that to my first year in Chicago, negative 70 degrees with the wind chill. It was like the coldest in over a decade. And, you know, my hair freezing on the way to class because it was still wet from oh, the shower. Oh, no. Yeah. It, your so, hair's got to be dry no matter what it looks like when you go outside. <laughs> I know. And so, uh, so, so uh, <laughs> but, you know, I will say that, like culture shock, but also, you know, I was coming from the suburbs of Miami you know it, it was amazing I loved every bit of that culture shock I I loved the snow I'd never seen it before I loved the art I loved the metropolitan I loved the you know everything about that experience of going to Chicago is sort of what turned me into the artist that I am like you know that that guy from Miami I was just a kid you know and then it was in Chicago that I really sort of was exposed to art and culture and, um, and experimentation and and it's where I met the, the best friends of my life including Sean Gunn by the way who who played Kirk on Gilmore Girls and he and I both got on that show actually like serendipitously like it, it like it wasn't totally it was like pretty coincidental how we both ended up on that show but we've been best friends since the 90s you know he and I we've, we've been he's hilarious too <laughs> so then when I went to LA LA was a little bit more of okay I've been in Chicago for almost a decade the novelty of all of that is sort of worn off I'm now a new sort of new person I want to explore all of these things that I've learned and I'd like to do it in an environment where I'm not getting blown into the street you know because of the wind and <laughs> and it's you know not so brutally cold a lot of my friends had moved to LA and so I decided it was a great place to go I had a a, a network of support there and I came to LA the irony is that I was sort of you know poor and and struggling in Chicago, like an artist, like, you know, most people in Chicago. And, uh, and I came to LA after years of struggling and like walked right into a show at one of the biggest theaters here in, in LA. And, um, shortly after got, a, you know, an agent. And then shortly after that, I was on Gilmore Girls. And, and then I started doing my own things and started developing, you know, my own projects and working with great people. And my journey here in, in Los Angeles has been really, um, you know, it's been great and it's been varied and, you know, a real adventure. Not that I don't love my time that I had in Chicago, but I, I always look back at Chicago as sort of my, like my training ground. It's where I learn, you know, everything that I apply now. Now, like you mentioned, H plus has been in development for quite a few years. Can you tell us a little bit about how I developed the, the idea and the concept of it and, and how we you able to uh, pitch it and get Brian Singer on board? Well, in 2006, I was, you know, I, I think probably I was, I was looking for something that I could, you know, some exciting project to do. Uh, I knew that Gilmore Girls was almost off the air. And I really, like I said, I really wanted to transition out of acting and into writing, directing, etc. And so I, you know, I think that my head was in the space to sort of find a really fun project. And, I, you know, I don't know what it was. I, I, this whole idea of a world connected by nanocomputers sort of came to me one day. I was actually driving through a parking lot here in L.A. and the radio in my car went out. And I remember there was a song playing on the radio that I really loved. And I stopped the car and backed up traffic and they were beeping at me. And, like, you know, next thing I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just thinking about, you know, I'm down in this lot, no reception. And I'm thinking about, you know, how vulnerable that felt, you know, and, and, uh, and I guess there was something in that and that I wanted to explore. And shortly after I, I sort of had this idea of a world connected by these nanocomputers, which is not really, it's, it's sort of analogous to what the world we live in today. I mean, you know, we, technology like, like this implant in the series is so embedded in our humanity that we may as well be underneath our skin. I took that idea to Cosimo, who uh, who I'd been sort of springboarding with on a variety of other ideas, trying to find a project for us. And I said, what do you think? And he was like, this is really cool. Why don't we, you know, why don't we just start exploring what a world like this would be rather than coming up with a story? Why don't we just start coming up with characters who may have experienced an event like this? Um, you know, the event being that this world is connected by implants, implanted computers. And all of a sudden, one day, 
something happens, and all of them die. And little by little, as we started investigating a scenario like that, and all the people in, uh, affected by that, this story world started to develop. Not necessarily a story, but a lot of different little stories. After about, I'd say, six to eight months of just doing that, working all the time, researching, developing a pitch for this world as a, you know, as something. We didn't even know really what. We started taking it around and we showed it to film people. We showed it to TV people. We didn't really know what it was going to be. And we sat down with Brian and his uh, his folks at Bad Hat and they loved it. They, they felt like it was, you know, the way that we wanted to tell the story, which was in a nonlinear fashion, you know, with a variety of different characters spread out around the world and these almost like vignette styles, that that was something that certainly could work on television. We at, at that point, we really only had a show like Lost as an example of something that was working in that regard. But they felt like because this story was so much about the Internet, that it probably would be smart for us to at least explore it as an Internet Thing. And, and, and Brian and his producers there really wanted to get into developing for the internet. Uh, we, we showed it to Warner Digital. They loved it. And pretty soon we were hired to write it. And at that point, we hadn't put pen to page yet. You know, everything was just sort of a world, a concept. So for the next four years, Cosmo and I figured out how to write this script as a story and what we, we approached it from the standpoint of well we, we want this to be expansive we want this to feel big why don't we try and merge all these little stories that we had developed into this one larger story and present it less as a a linear tv style narrative and a little bit more like an interactive internet style ar arg for lack of a better word yeah, alternate reality game yeah. I think we skipped ahead a little bit, and I just realized we probably should explain the concept of H Plus a little more for our listeners who may have not watched it yet. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's this thing about? What? So, could you explain a little bit about the concept of the show and also what H Plus means? H Plus is um, it's set in a, a, a near future. Future very similar to today as 20 years ago looks like today. And in this, in this future, 33% of the world population, approximately the same number of people who use cell phones today, have retired their cell phones, their laptops, their computers in favor of a new implanted computer that allows them to um, connect to, to the internet via their nervous system. And we essentially start the story with something going wrong and that 33% suddenly inexplicably dies. Well, inexplicably. I mean, we, we assume that it has something to do with, with a virus that's on this network. And we spend the rest of the series trying to figure out what happened. Jumping forward in time, jumping backwards in time, seeing what this world was looking like as it was accelerating towards this event, as well as seeing what this world looks like in the aftermath of the event. And, and understanding who all of these players are, how they are connected, because when we begin the story, all of the characters that we focus on in these little mini ensembles that we've set up don't seem to have a lot of connection to one another. And as we progress throughout the season, we start to see that they are, in fact, very connected. And what does H-plus mean? H-plus is the internationally recognized symbol for a, uh, a cultural political scientific movement known as H plus, uh, or sorry, known as transhumanism. Transhumanism is essentially the idea that we as a species, as well as, as, as well as individuals are going to be upgraded, that our culture is going to be upgraded, that our bodies themselves are going to be upgraded through technology through advanced forms of technology like genetic engineering, network technology, computer technology, robotic technology, and nanotechnology, some of which will find its way inside of our own bodies. Um, I guess the, the, the short version is transhumanism is about the blending of man and technology, the true merging of man and machine. 48 episodes they're about three to six minutes each 
Um, mm-hmm. And you do this non-linear format where you do jump around through time and you have different characters you follow. It's almost sort of like a non-linear anthology type show. It's very different from anything I've seen before in that approach writing-wise. So when you co-wrote for this, how did you approach it structure-wise? Yeah, did you set out to do that or did it just sort of seem to break up easier that way? Or Well, you know, the, the uh, like I said, I mean, we what we had before we started writing the script was a very, very dense mythology, right? We had all these characters. We had a timeline. We had events that took place all over this timeline. We had essentially like a a Bible for this world, right? For all the events that happened on this world for about 20 years, right? Now, mind you, the, the series that, that people are seeing here, these, these 48, really only co- covers about 12, 13 years of that longer timeline. But we had all of that mapped out, you know, even even deeper in, uh, mapped out before we started writing. And we did want to tell this story in a nonlinear fashion, and we did want to tell this story in a very expansive manner. So we felt that telling this in these short installments and doing it in a way that we sort of pick out different spots on the timeline that felt right to each other, you know, even if they weren't right next to each other, that there was a a really interesting way to tell a story in that. Very early on, we really got set on this idea. I don't know. I don't know if people have picked up on this, to be honest with you. I haven't really seen a lot of chatter about it, but I, I don't know if you guys realize, but every odd episode of the series takes place before the event. And every even episode of the series takes place after the event. So we flip-flop back and forth. So episode one is before, episode two is after, episode three is before, episode four is after. And we don't really we don't really have a set rule for where before or where after, but we did sort of settle on that structural conceit very early on. And it's probably because we wanted to have something structurally to hang on to. Because when we started writing this, we really didn't know how to write a series like this because there wasn't really any other series that we could compare it to. You know, the, I'd say the closest literary form to what we're doing is probably the serial in literature, right? Like the way that Charles Dickens wrote all of his novels, you know, they were published as small chapters, you know, installments in magazines, right? So that's not too different from the way that we are telling this story, except that we're not really telling it in order, right? And we're telling it from the perspective of different people. And so in that way, I don't know, I mean, it it has a little bit of a modern feel. I mean, sort of, I I mean, not to get all sort of literary with this, because I I mean, I think ultimately the, the series is a piece of popcorn entertainment, you know, for lack of a better word. But, you know, it sort of reminds me a little bit of like, the way that that Faulkner wrote As I Lay Dying, you know, where we sort of see the story told through the eyes of a variety of different people. And we just thought, we thought that that would be a really great way to tell a really big story with, I have to say, not a really big budget, you know? We needed to take what in studio terms is a shoestring budget. I realize that in web series terms is a massive budget, but in studio terms, which we had to work very often in studio terms, you know, it's a very small budget. And we had to, we had to take that and make it look like it was this massive world. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, this nonlinear jumping around to different places really uh, helps us do that. And you jump around different countries even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, may I ask what the budget is? It is in the millions, in the low millions. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I have to say, you can probably find it online. I just am not sure. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it. I, yeah, like, I, I, like, it's one of those things. Would we be able to ask? <laughs> I'm cool. sure you can find it online. It's in the it's in the low it's in the low millions. Well, I um, love how you brought in that about Dickens because you know now it's oh gosh we got to read that in literature class and this and that. They don't realize it's like when this came out it came out in serials and people were on the edge of their on pins and needles waiting yeah. for the next installment. It was huge entertainment and people would and get I, it and they'd read it out loud. Like, totally, the and, I, I have to, 
And I have to imagine, I have to imagine that there were plenty of people that were having the kind of gripes that people have with H plus in that, <laughs> in that they watch and they're like, what? Oh, I have to wait for another freaking week for, for, for more of this. This is maddening. And you know what? Yeah, that's part of the style. That's part of the genre. You know, that's to be honest with you, I feel like it's part of the fun. You know, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. But when a writer writes something, you know, typically they, I mean, unless they're being paid very well to write something that they don't want to, <laughs> that they don't really care about, you know, but that, which is not the case here, because we certainly were not getting paid a lot of money for this. You want to write something that you would love, right? Like I wanted to write a series that would be the type of series I would love for somebody to write for me. And I like waiting and I like savoring and I like rewatching and I like exploring and examining and, you know, and reconfiguring. And, and I think that the short episodes allow for that, especially in this nonlinear format, allow people to take multiple episodes and, and rearrange them, put them in a different order. And I think that if they were longer than they are, it would be much harder. It'd be much harder to do that. And uh, definitely if they were longer than they are, we'd have to make less of them. And so then there, it would start to feel a little bit more like a traditional TV show. And, and that's something that we wanted to avoid. We didn't want to do TV on the web. There's so much TV on the web. In fact, it's starting to mature to the point now that we are seeing stuff that looks very much like TV on the web, not just from a quality perspective, but is actually starting to get up there in terms of the length. You know, I mean, Stuart Hendler went on from H plus to do Halo and Halo. Th those are about 20 minute episodes. They really feel like TV, but a lot of, you know, entertainment on the web because they don't have the money, they have to resort to doing short pieces, short episodes, and sort of squeeze a TV-style narrative arc into that five minutes, you know? And we just thought that for a story like this, it just wouldn't work. And so instead, many of these episodes, they don't have an arc. They feel like they've just been plucked out of the middle of something. They feel like a puzzle piece more than an episode. Well, and that's part of the fun of it is that with, a, you know, web series as a form of entertainment is in its infancy. It's sort of, we always compare it to like the Wild West where it's just like, you know, you can't make up your own rules when you're dealing with television, but you can make up your own rules with the web. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if that will always be the case. You know, I mean, I think eventually the studios, the ones with the big money are going to, they're going to figure out how to make big money on the internet. Once they figure that out, then they'll start doing a lot of that. And then we'll be locked into one or two particular forms on the internet. And people will watch those because they will be the best looking stuff. And it will be much harder for independent artists to do stuff on the internet because people just won't watch it. They'll look at it and say, it looks cheap. Uh, and they'll watch, they'll watch the, the really high quality stuff, which they'll only have a limited number of formats. The way that we only have a limited number of formats on TV. We have the half hour and the hour. That's it. On limited format on, in, in film. We just have the three act structure usually told in about an hour and a half to two hours. But right now we are at this really interesting point on the internet where everyone including the studios are exploring and it's allowing creators like 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 me and Cosimo and Stewart to tell stories in a way that you wouldn't normally be able to tell it you know and and I think that in that way it's the best place to be telling stories right now yeah it's very much like the early years of the silent film and then also the early years of when they started going into sound and it was like everyone's just kind of there were so many different models out there and different kind of ways it was done until after a while people started setting rules on it. But exactly. in, the, in the earlier years, it was like, you, you could have seen anything. <laughs> exactly. And there's something really wonderful about that. I mean, like, um, you know, the, the people who lived through that, they got to see a lot of different things, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that people, people take that for granted right now, that how many different styles and different things that we can see right now because we are in this transitionary period. But I'm, I'm telling you, eventually, I believe that that will not be as much the case. Eventually, we will sort of lock into formats and it will be much harder. I mean, of course, there will always be people experimenting, but, you know, being able to get so many eyeballs on that experimentation, that is something that is very unique to the time we live in. Mm -hmm. 
what would you suggest to other web series creators whenever they they're going to structure a story? Would you suggest like you did, you know, throw out the rule book and just make something experiment and make something unique for the web that works for your particular project, or do you tend to think shorter is better? Do you do you have any kind of recommendations for somebody? Because we always get web series people, you know, when we talk privately, a lot of times they'll ask us, are the shorter stuff doing better? Is the longer stuff doing better? Is you know, this is this is surprisingly a hot topic for debate <laughs> yeah it, it, it is it, you know what and it, it is and, it, and here's the question like we you know it's very hard to judge for sure right like if h plus is getting any one single criticism it is people who are unhappy with the length that they're like this is too good to be three minutes or they're just like i can't get into watching something like this and it end after three minutes i just can't do it which is odd because so many can watch it in other formats that I, I really do think that it is partly because they see it and they say this looks too much like TV and yet it cuts out before it's supposed to because the way I see this type of content being is a half an hour to an hour long, right? That is the big question. The, the question is how many of those people who are very vocal about it in the comments on, on YouTube, how much does that represent the larger number of people who are actually watching the episodes, right? Because, you know, only a fraction of the people who watch the video actually comment on the video. So it's really hard to say. I mean, you know, the episodes are doing very, very well, you know, like from a, from a viewing perspective, people are watching. The series is growing steadily. It's gaining subscribers steadily. It, it's getting, you know, a lot of thumbs up. It has a very high percentage. So, you know, we look at both sides and we say like, what, What's right here? Like, could we perhaps make a 10-minute episode and then all of a sudden find the comments are extremely positive, but our viewing numbers have drastically dropped? You know what I mean? Like, these are the types of things that everyone is still trying to sort of figure out. Now, I went from The Homes being 10-minute long episodes to H+, after being three and a half, four minute long episodes on average, right? So I actually went backwards. Like most people are sort of growing, you know, like get, they're, they're, they're getting bigger. And so I guess to answer your question, I'd say, you know, the Holmes was very much a traditional style narrative. It was presented like little mini episodes. If anything, I feel like I wrote the Holmes like each episode was an act of television, right? So it was like, I was sort of writing them to the commercial. But uh, when we were writing H+, which, you know, I mean, a, a large portion of that came after the homes as well as before the homes, we weren't really thinking about length so much as what the story really asked of us. And in the homes, that's what the story needed. It needed to be linear and it needed to be longer. Like, you know, there's no way it would have worked as three-minute episodes, the homes. No way. They had to be 10-minute long episodes and and then with h plus i really do genuinely believe that for what we wanted to do which was create this sort of larger puzzle of little pieces and these little bite-sized moments in time and, and and geography that the shorter works better i really do believe that so i would say my advice to people who are trying to figure out what story they want to tell that they should be asking what the story, what what format the story is asking for. And then again, you know, I think that because we are telling a story in a different medium than television, that we should not be thinking of it like television, right? Try not to, I'd say try not to jam a television hour into 10 minutes or a television half hour into five minutes, but rather think of them as perhaps the pieces of an hour-long piece of content, right? Like like I said, you know, I thought of the homes a little bit more like the acts of a TV show rather than as little TV shows in and of themselves. It's really difficult to do a complete story arc, like a mm -hmm. three-act structure in 10 minutes or less. Yeah. Yeah, so you see it happening sometimes. I think that The Guild is probably the, the series that does it better than any than any that I've seen so far, you know, where the episodes really feel like episodes, you know, they feel like like episodes, but they also sort of feel like, gosh, you know, if if this series had more money, this series would be a half an hour long. Mm -hmm. This would be maybe an hour long, you know. Mm -hmm.
Whereas I know that I know that some people feel that way about H plus. They they watch they see, but I feel like that's more the production value that they're actually seeing, like the look of H plus. Um, that they say this could be a TV show, and I think that that there is a TV show that lives in the world of H plus, but it wouldn't look nothing at all. I mean, from a production standpoint, maybe, but from a structural standpoint, it would it would feel nothing like what we've gotten in this web series. Yeah, and that brings up a point. First off, is there going to be another season? Or are you guys thinking about that, or any kind we're, of spinoff? And we're about to start writing the second season. Okay, great. Now, will we get a second season? That is a completely different story. Um, you know, I mean, Warner Brothers has invested in in seeing what the next part of this story is, right? And and so Cosmo and I are writing that for Warner Brothers. But the studio model, I mean, it's I mean, it really was a big learning experience for me to be to be working as a writer in the studio system, being that my only experience up until then was my own projects. But, it, you know, it is certainly has its pros and cons. Obviously, it's obvious pros, you know, the quality that you get and the and the, you know, everything that comes with the Warner brand. But, you know, the, the cons are things are slow. Things take a long time. It, things can like projects can fall apart at any step of the way. So we're certainly hopeful. Right now, nothing seems to indicate that Warner Brothers wouldn't want to move forward with a season two. Like you know, if it had a similar, if everything was similar to 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 what they were sort of required to invest the first time around. The the numbers are really good. YouTube is really happy right now. I'm very optimistic that audiences will see the next part of this. Which, as I said before, we already sort of knew because when we started writing this, we had this massive world with lots of things happening in a very long timeline and we were only able to put a certain amount of it in there because we really didn't have that much time and and, and resources for that the, the the entire series 48 episodes is about three and a half hours and part of why we are stretching it out the way that we are is we wanted to take that three and a half hours and really turn it into an experience you know, we wanted to turn it into something that communities could form around and that people could really pick apart together and anticipate together, right? Everyone could get excited about the next episode together. Um, we think that that's a really important component to the series, the community aspect of it. It's part of one of the themes of the actual story itself, how we as a global community come together, you know, through network technology. Now that you mentioned the online community, I'm uh, curious about how you all approached promotion and the advertisement and getting people to not only watch the show, but feel like a part of the community, online community watching it. That has been, there's two answers to that question. One is, is very simple, which is the Warner, and this goes to one of the, the, the pros, the huge pros of working with the studios, the Warner marketing and publicity power is, is, is huge. Um, you know, Warner Brothers has relationships with hundreds of publications and, and blogs, and, and, and so being able to get the word out early through the studio would be would have been very difficult to do without a studio and i believe was hugely influential in getting so many people aware of a property that did not exist right their last show the last big project that warner uh warner did was mortal kombat oh yeah mortal kombat 17 million views it has on its first video uh, then it, then that drops down to five million on its second video, which is yeah. pretty, which is pretty well. That's pretty common, I'd yeah. say, web series in general. Um, but you know, I mean, we're looking at that and we're thinking, like, no way are we going to be able to compete with that? I mean, this is a twenty-year-long brand, you know, hugely popular brand that's centered around video games, which of course we all know YouTube is heavily populated with a video game community. So we were really starting, I mean we had Brian's name, we had Warner's power and brand, but we were really starting from zero with H Plus. And if we hadn't had the Warner brand behind this, pushing it, getting it out there to publications, I really don't think that it would have gotten the awareness that it did. So that's the answer to the that's the first answer, first part of the answer which is you know there was a lot of actual studio marketing that went into into the series the other half is social media and how social media and communities has played a part in this and that has been a lot more slow growing you know I, i'll admit you know i would love 
to see the series really explode from a community standpoint more than it has so far. And I think that part of that is people you know, are still trying to understand what the series is. You know, I think that we are slowly changing perception away from this is TV on the web to this is an experience. You know, we also, your three major marketing tools for community building are Facebook, Twitter, and now Google+. All three of them, they function differently and they have a different purpose. What we've been finding is that, believe it or not, Google+, sort of the newest uh, newest kid on the block, and, you know, arguably the, the fewest number of really active, engaged people on it, actually turns out to be, it may potentially be the big game changer for content like H+, because we're seeing the most intelligent dialogue there. We're seeing people really doing what we'd hoped that people would do with the series, which is pick the series, the story apart, try and figure the story out, talk to each other about the story, not so much the format or the themes. The themes are great. I love it when people talk about the themes and, and get in it, but that people tend to, that tends to sort of digress into, into like, bickering about you, yeah. you, your views on religion and this, that, and the other, and then it sort of get, gets away from, from the real the real point. And I think that that's the danger of comments. That's the, the double-edged sword, really, with comments on, on YouTube, which is that they are typically a place where people just, you know, troll or say something is awesome or, you know, get into arguments about their philosophies of life. Whereas what we're seeing on Google+, is people really actually trying to figure out this puzzle, which is something we're not seeing on Facebook. On Facebook, people, the same posts that we post on, on Google+, on Facebook, we get 10 times, or five, five to 10 times the number of likes on Facebook as we get plus ones on Google+, but five times the number of actual dialogue and interaction on Google Plus than we get on Facebook. And Facebook has 10 times the number of subscribers as Google Plus does. So there's something there's something really special happening with Google Plus and we're really excited to see if perhaps as the series goes into this second half, if we start to see communities really starting to form there. But you know, we've always felt, always believed that this series is going to be about audience building, that this was not going to be a viral series. It, it just doesn't really have the, it doesn't have the, the recipe for virality. Virality starts from communities and H plus didn't really have a community. It's building a community. And, uh, and so we always sort of knew that what our goal would be is to build our subscribership, which we have been, and foster the small communities that are forming. And, and hopefully, if we do see a season two of H+, or even, you know, like, God willing, like many seasons, that over that time, we will develop a dense, big, exciting following, sort of the way that the Guild developed its following, you know, after its first few seasons. Yeah. Yeah, when you said... The conversation descends into bickering. I, I was thinking a different word that starts with the B, but it wasn't bickering. <laughs> but you're right; yeah. it, it often does, you know, and, and it can be a little frustrating because you you worked so hard on your episodes of you know your show H plus, and then then to see like you know five posts down, someone's made it political, religious, and something else, and attacking the person who posted before him, and it's like, no! <laughs> I know, I know, I know, and it's like, you know, and it's just the, the, the smallest things will start it, you know, and, and it's funny, because we have so many small things in the series, like, story-wise, right, like, all these, like, tiny little nuances that we were really, like, we want people to, like, really chew on, figure out, and talk about, but, like, the stuff that they that they focus on, you know, like it's just, sometimes it's just absolutely ridiculous. And, uh, and then, and, and it almost sometimes it feels like it's meant to start an argument, you know? I think some people do. I was going to say, you know, the thing is, you know, you can, I think probably most people who like something are not prone to commenting. Right. Um, And then people who happen across what you're, what you put out there and they're having a really crappy day, you know, Yeah. <laughs> you're just there. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, I always, maybe it's self-preservation on my part, but every time I see, you know, if, if I, 
I've got it in my head. Look, if someone's going to comment on our stuff, it's probably going to be negative, but it, it isn't personal, you know? <laughs> yes. And I've sort of gotten to that point, too. And I also, you know, I mean, even in the nastiest, ugliest, trolliest comments, I've found some value. I've found some value. I mean, I don't want to respond to it because I don't want to encourage that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's certainly value in it. And there's certainly value in this discussion about whether or not H plus should be even in this format a little bit longer than it is. Um, I don't believe that in this format it should be 20 minute episodes. I don't believe that it should be 15 minute episodes, but perhaps there is a version of this that is closer to 10 minute long episodes. I don't know. So I, I definitely get there is some value from the comments, but what I really want to do, and we're trying this now, I mean, like, you know, I have a vlog out that I've done already and I'll, I'll be, I'll be, um, you know, recording a new vlog this week. That'll be like the second vlog. And what we're really going to be trying to do more than anything is the people who are looking for a place to talk about the story. And we see them every once in a while in the comments on YouTube, you'll see one lone person like ask everybody, you know, whether they noticed some particular <laughs> mysterious plot point, and it just gets buried underneath like, you know, tons of, of other ridiculous comments. So it's sort of like what we'd love to do is find all of these wanderers looking for a place to discuss this series and focus them towards some of our social communities that are forming and i think you know right now the winner is looking like it's google plus so we'll probably be trying to focus people towards the google plus community that's a good idea keep us updated on that and, and it, how it goes you're the first web series creator has really talked that much about google plus yeah, so. yeah. So we're kind of like, ooh, let us know how that works. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a re, I have, I have this feeling that 2013 is going to be an important year for Google Plus, right? Like, sort of the way that what 2007 was huge for 2007, 2008 was huge for Twitter. I, I, I have this sense that 2013 is going to be big for 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 Google Plus. Such an exciting time for uh, science fiction because. So much of our daily lives now, not that long ago, would have been considered science fiction. And, yeah. and so, you know, now it's a, it's a really great time that you're able to experience, uh, experiment with the new format and kind of the wild west of the web. But you're also able to really uh, delve into science fiction at a time when, you know, it's science fiction now. In two years, it could be reality. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, back in the 80s, science fiction was really like more spaceships and, and, and aliens. And, you know, I mean, I guess we still have a lot of that still today, but um, I think, you know, with the advent of the internet, science fiction really has taken on this, this new sort of transhumanist slant in which we are envisioning what a world would look like in the future with all of this new internet technology. Right. It feels so much more personal to people now than it used to, I think. Yeah. We've had such yeah. a communication revolution in the last yes. ten years or so. That, yeah. And it, you know, what's next? Where's it going next? I don't yeah. know. I'm always <laughs> wary of it. <laughs> I love science fiction, but I'm like, oh, it, that could bite us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's sort of the big question in H plus, right? It's like you know, we may feel uncomfortable. Like I, I think everybody, to a degree, feels some degree of what if this all went wrong, right? Yeah. But it doesn't prevent us from buying the iPhone. It doesn't. No, we don't, risk takers. Yeah, we don't buy an iPhone and say, this could be leading down a bad path. You know, we just, we don't think like that, right? And I think that that's part of, that's part of the story of H+, which is that, you know, you have this world that all accepts this, this implanted computer you know, I'm sure they all know that there are problems that could that could arise. They all are aware of hacking and you know and whatnot. But we just we are a species of risk takers. You know, we've always and it's just it's one of the really interesting things about the human condition or the human species really as it relates to progress. And that is we always seem willing to pay the costs associated with progress the bumps along the way you know the hiroshimas the the black plagues yeah the industrial uh, revolution big bumps that have, that have happened because of technology we we accept them and i think the reason we do is because deep down we understand that 
those bumps may be a part of the larger story. We always seem to get past them, right? Like all of the things that led to the the spread of Black Plague in the in the 14th century, new methods of urban planning, uh, new methods of trade, livestock management, all of these things, which really created this cocktail of mass, you know, extinction in, or not extinction, but like you know, mass uh, uh, death in Europe. We got past, and we st- and we still have many. We still use some of those methods, or many, or all of those methods, really. Today, we've just built on them. So the question is, do we somehow, underneath all of all of this, like, is there something deep in the human condition that understands that this is part of the story, and that we sort of have to accept some of these bumps in order to get past them and to create great things you know i mean it's a sort of a dark it's sort of a dark way of looking at it but um certainly our past has shown that we are not invincible or or that or that or that we are vulnerable i'd say i'd say because i i I guess i I would say that to a degree we have sort of shown that we are invincible that we kind of get through everything but that we are we are vulnerable to these these things happening so I would have to assume that as we move forward, we are probably in store for one or more crazy, horrible things happening along the way again. <laughs> more story material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if there's anything else you want, any other projects you work on, you want to promote? Yeah, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Let us know anything that's going on. Oh goodness. Uh, well, I definitely want. I want to promote the heck out of H plus. So yeah. like, definitely, so definitely, so definitely like if there's been anything interesting here about this that, you know, anything about this interview in regards to H plus that has interested you and you want to see the series, go to youtube.com forward slash H plus digital series. That's H P L U S digital series. There's also a website, really great interactive website with all of these sort of extra pieces of content that I mentioned. Um, that's hplusdigitalseries.com. Other than that, I'm actually working on, aside from H plus two, second season, I'm working on like three other projects, but I haven't announced them yet. But uh, I'm uh, likely one of them is going to be announced relatively soon, but they're actually really, really big, exciting projects, studio projects. So not in the web series. Well, H plus is in the web series. And there's another one that, that is probably going to be in the web series, but, but, but some feature stuff. So you can find me online very, very easily. I'm, I'm very accessible. Um, um, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash John Cabrera, twitter.com forward slash John Cabrera. You can find my Google plus just by going, I guess, going to Google and typing in John Cabrera. I'm pretty much anywhere at any of the social networks as John Cabrera. If you are on a social network and you want to hear me talking about any number of things related to the stuff I'm working on or ideas or whatnot, um, find me online. I'm very social. I love to talk. I love meeting new people. Hi, I'm Blake Calhoun, the creator of the web series Pink and the sci-fi web series Continuum, and you're listening to Genretainment Radio. Thanks to John Cabrera for agreeing to the interview, and we do wish H Plus the digital series great success. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm curious about a possible second season, and we look also look forward to seeing what the writer side of John Cabrera comes up with next. Yeah, me too. Uh, so that's it for today's Genretainment. Check back next week with all new guests. Join us back right here on this channel at SciFiPulseRadio.com next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific. Until, Until next time. time.